0: in the beginning, where we have been sitting in Genesis chapter 1 to 3, and we're looking at how God created man and woman, uh, the purpose that he gave man and woman, uh, what happened in the fall, what we lost, and how it was redeemed through Jesus. And so, as I said, we're in week three today, and last week, I spoke directly to the men uh, and I talked about man's purpose last week, and we looked at the fact that from Genesis 2.15, it tells us what man's purpose is, that men are to work and men are to keep. And when we look at that word work, we see that it is heavily service based, that men are, our work is to be done to the glory of God and in the service of others, that as men, we are not called to build our own little kingdoms, to work for ourselves, to build up what we want. Our lives are to be spent in the service of God and the service of other people. And then we looked at the fact that men are called to keep, and a man's call to keep means to guard or preserve or look after what God has given us to steward. And we said that the man's role, the man's function to work and keep is under or a part of that larger uh, kind of thing that God has given humanity to do, that God has given humanity directives that we are to do, and man's uh, purpose is found in those directives. And so we said that man's or, Humanity's general purpose is found in Genesis 1.26 and Genesis 1.28, and there's six key words in there that we narrowed down into three different directives that God gives humanity. This is a directive God gives men and women, and directive number one is that we are to have dominion, that we are to rule and we are to subdue and we are to uh, be over all of creation of the earth. And we talked last week about how it's really important that we understand when God says, uh, have dominion and rule and subdue, that he's talking about it in the form of stewardship, not ownership. Right? We talked about the fact that we don't ultimately own everything. Everything is for us. It's a gift to us from God. But it belongs to him, and we steward it in the time that we are here. And then directive number two for humanity is that we are to be fruitful. And in the context of Genesis chapter 1, that means have children, bear children. And of course, we talked last week about how that has become very difficult at times because of the fall, because of sin. And one of those sad realities of sin is that there's infertility and there's difficulty in getting pregnant in our world as a result of sin. And there's also this other side that's happening where increasingly we're being told not to have children. Where we're being told to go against God's good design. Maybe some of you have heard this new push now, not to have children because they're increasingly bad for the environment, and that's just crazy. And so that goes against God's good design, but His design is under attack. And then last, the third directive that we are to have is we are to, be, or we are to multiply and fill the earth. And I had separated those two things apart, be fruitful and then multiply and fill the earth. Because yes, multiplying and filling the earth has to do with bearing children, but there's also the reality of discipleship. We are to multiply ourselves, and one way to look at it is in the context of the Christian church and the Great Commission that you and I, as followers of Christ, are called to duplicate ourselves, and that's how we multiply and fill the earth with followers of Jesus. And so these are the three directives that humanity has given from God. Have dominion over creation, be fruitful, and multiply. And men and women both have roles in that directive. And we looked at man's purpose last week, and this week we want to look at woman's purpose in that directive and I want to remind you of how I'm approaching these texts because I think again as I said last week it's important to understand that I hold a complementary view of men and women and some people differ on that view but I hold a complementary view of men and women I think Genesis 127 is clear that both men and women are image bearers of God they're equal in value they're equal in dignity and anything that reduces the value value of one sex under the other or elevates one sex over the other is a twisting of God's design it is wrong and it's evil but equal does not mean the same and we'll get into that a little bit more today but men and women are equal in value they are different in function both are called to have dominion over the earth they're called to be fruitful, they're called to multiply, but their roles in that are going to be a little bit different. And my conviction, my strong conviction is that the differences between men and women complement one another beautifully in how God's created them. Both are needed in their respective roles for creation to flourish. And so that's how I'm coming at, I came at last week, that's how I'm coming at this week. And so this week, we want to answer the question what is the role God has created women to fulfill? And before we get into that, I want to take a step back before that even and just look at why did God create women? The, the narrative, the creation narrative, informs us that God created Adam first. And we don't know how long Adam was in the garden before God created Eve to join him. What we do know is that God viewed Adam as being in the garden by himself as not good. Throughout the creation story we see that God creates and then he says it's good. When he created the earth, when he created the water, the vegetation, the animals, the birds, the fish, all of it he creates and he says it's good. And then he looks at Adam alone in the garden and he says it's not good. And we see this in Genesis 2:18. The first part of it says, "Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. And so God sees creation is not complete yet, and he says it's not good. And then I find it really interesting. I think God does something really interesting after that. I may be reading too much into it, but I think God had an intent behind what he does next. We see in Genesis 2, 19 to 20 what God does next. I'm going to read it for you. It says... God knew that he was going to make a companion for Adam. He had not done that yet. The second half of Genesis 2.18 says, I will make a companion for him. So the companion God had in mind for Adam was not created at this point. But then what does God do? God then parades all of the animals, all of the living creatures in front of Adam and has him name each one of them. And when he's naming them, what we need to understand is he's not just giving them random names. He is naming them according to their likeness. And so all of the creatures are parading in front of Adam, and he names them, and then Genesis 2.20 declares, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Meaning that when he named the animals, he found amongst them there was no creature that was of his likeness. There was no creature in all of that that corresponded to him. And I think God did this on purpose because he already knew Adam wouldn't find one that was like him, but he was showing Adam the need that he had. Maybe Adam up to that point didn't recognize that he had a need, but God says, see all of the animals, see all of the creatures, there's nothing like you, Adam. And so then God puts Adam to sleep. And he removes a rib, and he forms that rib into a woman. And when Adam wakes up, he sees her, and what does he say? The very first human words recorded in the Bible, Genesis two twenty three. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. It's amazing if you think about it. Adam wakes up from this deep sleep. I don't know what God gave him, but he put him to sleep. And he remembers all of the creatures that paraded in front of him, all the ones that he named. And then he looks at the woman and he recognizes she's different than the rest of them. She is of the same likeness as me. This is... At last, bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. And you see it in the way that Adam names the woman. Adam's Adam in Hebrew, or man in Hebrew, is the word ish. It's I-S-H. And Adam names Eve ishah, I-S-H-A-H, because she was taken out of man. And so he looks at her and he says, I'm Ish, and you are Isha, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Woman was created because God saw an insufficiency in man in his singularity. There was an insufficiency in his ability to live out the directives that God had given him. And we can only speculate exactly what that insufficiency was. But God knew that man being alone was not good, and so he made woman. And then, after that, he determined that his creation was complete, and it wasn't only good, it was very good. (laughs) And so, some commentators have speculated That maybe the insufficiency that God saw in Adam being alone is that he didn't fully reflect the image of God in the way that he could when the woman was with him when the man and woman functioned in a complementary role. It's a clearer representation of the image of God. When man and woman complement one another in their role, it is like the Godhead complements one another as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, different roles all working together. And then, of course, there's the very practical reality that Adam could not be fruitful without Eve. There's just that. That reality there, there was no procreation happening without Eve. And even that in itself speaks to the differing roles that men and women have. And so a woman was created because there was an insufficiency in man alone. And God created her with a purpose. And so what was that purpose? Well, it's found in Genesis 2.18, the second half of it. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. Two key words in that sentence tell us a woman's purpose. She is a helper who is fit for man. And so let's look at each of those words, fit and helper, and see what that means. First, the word fit comes from the Hebrew word neged, And translated in different English, it's translated as fit, it's translated as suitable, it's translated as just right, or complimentary. A literal translation in the Hebrew word means according to what is in front of or corresponding to. And so again, we see that picture of Adam looking at Eve and going, you correspond to me. You are of my likeness. It's really interesting because the Hebrew word there, neged, it's actually often used to uh, explain the completion of a polarity. And so it's like the the North Pole and the South Pole, how they're polar opposites, but they complete one another. Or the idea of plus and minus in batteries. You need both of them. And so it's this picture of how men and women are different, yet they correspond to one another. They're the same likeness, and both are needed in equal measure. It's saying that men and women are proportionately equal and sufficient to one another. And so that's what it means that the woman is fit for the man. And then God says, she is a helper. And it comes from this Hebrew word, Azer. And it has a really deep meaning. It means one who helps. Yeah, oh, yeah. It means one who helps. And you know what is so interesting about the form that this word takes in the Hebrew? It's not in the form of a verb, it's in the form of a noun. And so God is not saying this is. Her, this, she's a helper in her actions. He's calling her. This is her name. She is helper. He's giving this name to the woman. It is part of her identity. Now, some wrongly conclude that since the woman is in the role of helper, it implies that she is subservient to man. But the creation story does not allow for that conclusion. And there's a few reasons why. First, one, Genesis one twenty seven shows that men and women are equal. We've already looked at that. Second, we've just defined the word fit that men and women are proportionately sufficient to one another, that they are appropriately matched, that they are complementary to one another. And last, if we look at the role of man last week, it is one to serve. It is one of service. And so men and women are called to equal service of each other according to the roles that God has given them. Not lesser or greater, but complementary. Philosophically, if you are a philosopher... You could say she is his missing rib in the sense that she completes him. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he says, the woman is not made of the head to top man, nor is she made of his feet to be trampled on by him, but of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Now that... That may be a bit poetic for some of you, but it expresses the ideal. Just think about this. If you think that a helper is subservient, when someone needs help, who is actually the weaker person in that situation? Is it the one who needs help or the one who's bringing the help? Right? It's the one who needs help. Right? The one who's bringing the help is, is not in a weaker situation or not a weaker position. Right? They, they, that's a position of strength, coming in and doing what the other person cannot do. And so, there is no way that helper implies a subservient relationship. And some of you may be wondering at this point, why am I laboring over this point? And it's because I have 30 minutes to present the biblical view of men and women, and then the world has the rest of the week to deconstruct that view and say men are better than women or women are better than men, and it's just not true. There is a big movement in our world right now that, that claims it is fighting for equality for women. The modern feminist movement claims that its aim is equality for women. And it is being championed by everyone. Our prime minister champions it. Our government champions it. Many organizations champion it. But the aim of it is not actually equality for women. It's sameness. It's that they're trying to flatten gender differences and make men and women the exact same. And equality is not sameness. And that's where a lot of the modern ideas about it go wrong. Men and women are not meant to be the same. There are overlapping similarities and interchangeable roles that happen. But gender is not flat and it is not fluid. You know, an area that I think reveals this issue or helps us get some handles on it. I remember a couple of years ago, Seeing an article uh, that Albert Moeller, if you don't know Albert Moeller, he's uh, president of the Southern Baptist uh, University and he has this weekly or this daily podcast called The Briefing. It's excellent. Check it out. He looks at the news from a Christian worldview. And a couple of years ago he was looking at this article about this push of men and women to become the same. And he was talking about how there's this push in the U.S. right now to bring the draft in for women as much as men. So that if the U.S. goes to war, it won't just be men being drafted, it will be women being drafted. Now, call me old-fashioned, right? I, I mean, if, if a woman wants to volunteer in the army or the armed, sor- or armed forces or work there, absolutely if God has called her to that. But there's something in my soul that says that's wrong to draft our women into war. Like I just have this idea with how couples or how roles are supposed to happen that men, men fight. Men go and fight. Men go to war. I just can't imagine how hard it would be for my son to get drafted, let alone my daughters having to go and fight a war. No. If they choose to, fine. But to be forced into that. And this is the kind of sameness that I just see as wrong. Like I, I just view that, that men, when there is a battle to be fought, men stand up and fight it so that the women and the children go free. Like, that's just how I think the world should work. What we need to understand is equality between men and women is God's idea. He has knitted it into His creation. And it, it's a basic conviction of the Christian faith. It is a well-documented fact in sociological studies that where the Christian faith is healthy, where the gospel is predominant, women are honored. Meanwhile, where the gospel is not reached, where a society has become heavily secularized, women are disproportionately mistreated. Gospel fruit brings equality and honor and fair treatment of women because it was God's idea. Fun fact for you history buffs, uh, did you know that the biblical creation narrative is completely unique to all Middle Eastern creation texts. You know, it's the only one that focuses on the creation of women as well as men and holds them up together. In every other creation text, women are either ignored or they are presented as a problem for men. The Bible is the only one that holds up the truth that men and women are equal and of deep value. So a helper does not imply lesser. And here's where I'm just going to completely blow that idea out of the water if you still think it it means that. The most mind-blowing thing about the woman as helper and how important women are and how crucial their role is is seen right in the usage of the word Azer. The word "azer," translated helper, is found 21 times in the Old Testament. Two times it's used in a negative context for someone who is not being helpful or someone who is not receiving help. And then every other time that it is used in the positive in the Old Testament, other than the two times describing the woman's role as helper, guess what it describes? It describes the role of God as helper for His people. Yeah, wow. God is certainly not lesser than his people. Isn't that amazing, women? God created you as helper, azer, and every other time it's used, it describes how he helps his people. Deuteronomy thirty three twenty six says, There is none like God, O Jusharin, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in His majesty. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-nine. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. Psalm thirty-three twenty. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 75, or 70 verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O oh Lord, do not delay. You know, throughout the Old Testament, whenever the word Azer is used, especially in relation to God, it's often used with military language that surrounds it, right? Shield, sword, strong arm, mighty, the overthrower of armies. So, if we take this into God's call to woman, a woman is a force to be reckoned with, and she is a strong ally for men. Now, what I don't want to do is I don't want to go heavily into how this actually plays out, because we're going to look at that later this year as we dig into specific roles more, but just a couple of thoughts I want to leave us with. First, In marriage, a woman is called to help her husband in his calling. Yet there is something similar that is true for the husband in helping his wife in what God is making her to be. Because Ephesians 5.27 says, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In that verse, Paul is referring the the, marriage between a man and a woman to Christ and his church. And in the same way that Christ presents his church without blemish, a man is to present his wife as holy and without blemish. That means that we have some help to do, we have some work to do with our wives. So yes, a woman helps her husband, lifts her husband up in his calling. And in the same way, the man makes room for the wife's own calling that God has given her, and they work together in that. And so the husband needs to create an environment where his wife is helping him in his calling and an environment that allows her to use her gifts and thrive in what the Lord has called her to do. I think the perfect example of the woman as helper or a perfect example that gives us a picture of what it can look like is the Proverbs 31 woman. We looked at this not too long ago. Proverbs 31, 10 to 12 says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And when you read Proverbs 31 from verse 10 to the end, you see a picture of a woman who has her hand in a lot of stuff. Like, she's not like confined to anything. She's got like her own home business going on. She's doing stuff in, in, the, in the city. She's going to market. She's taking care of her children. Like th- There is such a massive picture of what the role of helper looks like, even when you just look at Proverbs 31. like This is a woman who is doing a lot of different stuff, taking on a lot of different roles, and all of it is helping her husband, and he just praises her all throughout Proverbs 31. And at the same time, she's got her own calling within that, that the Lord has given her. So that's just a picture that you can look at of how that plays out in reality. But women, you have a massive role to play. You are called to be helpers. And there's some way in how you help men in the same way that God helps His people. Like, It is a big role that the Lord has called you to. And in the coming months, we'll look at what that means a little bit more and how that plays out. We'll leave it there for this morning. Let's pray. Actually, before we do, I have a growth step for you. I forgot to give you your growth step. This week, women, in each realm of influence you have, consider how you can be a helper to those around you for the glory of God and the good of others, and then be that help. Now, if you were here last week, you'll notice that this growth step is very similar to the one that I gave the men. I said, men, in any realm of influence that you have, figure out how do you work and how do you keep, how do you serve and how do you keep for the glory of God and the good of those around you. So when you put those two growth steps together, You kind of see this picture that God intends for men and women, serving one another, helping one another mutually. In different roles, yes, the man is called to lead the home, but leading from a place of service, not authoritarianism, and the woman helps. It's just this beautiful picture between a man and a woman when we step into that. Let's pray. Father, you have created us beautifully. Men and women, uniquely and purposefully. Father, I I think about this this role of helper. And God, I'm just so thankful that you have created women in the way that you have. Father, I, I think about my own wife and how... She is such a deep help to me, how I could not be who I am without her, and I guarantee that that is reflective between a lot of these relationships in this room. Father, in the hearts of your sons, may we have a deep thankfulness for the women that you have given us in our lives. May we recognize the immense value that they have to you and to us, and in all the ways that they help us. And Father, for the women in here, may they know that they have just an immense calling from you, Lord, that you have given them so much for their hands to do. And Father, I pray that men and women together would serve one another, help one another in the roles that we have, and it would be this beautiful reflection of how you have made creation to be. I thank you for your design, Father. Lord, help me, help us to submit to the way that you have created us, submit to the way that you have called us to be, and maybe walk in confidence in how you have created each and every one. I thank you in this church, Lord. I just think about how much the women serve this church. How much this church just relies on your daughters, and I thank you for them. We give you all honor and all glory this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.